0: Mac Power Users, episode 593. It's all based on stickies with Paul Kafasis. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen?
1: I'm good, David. How are you?
0: Uh, I'm great. Did did you get any sleep after WWDC? Because I felt like you were running pretty hard there.
1: Not as much as I would like but that's okay
0: yeah it was a great week and a lot of good news um thanks for everyone for the uh the nice words about the interview we did with apple last week i thought that came out great and since we're on a roll we thought we'd bring in another mac luminary to the show welcome to the show paul kafasis
2: yeah. uh the ha- mac luminary is perhaps aspirational but i'll take it i think
0: i think just take it man don't argue with it
2: thank you it's good to be here
0: Paul is the proprietor of a software company called Rogue Amoeba, which, by the way, is the best-named company I think I've ever been made aware of.
2: Well, the, the biggest problem we've always had is that people don't know how to spell Rogue, and they don't know how to spell Amoeba. and So fortunately, <laughs> Google's out there. People can find us. But uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's a name that we've enjoyed but has had its downsides. Where did it come from? There was a poem by a poet named uh, Peter Virick. And he, there's a line. It's it's a poem called uh, Persephone and the Old Poet. And there's a line. The what is the line exactly? It's the he's discussing evolution, and it's the rogue amoeba that's split in two, and it's basically you know talking about the origin of uh, all of existence uh, on Earth, anyway. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that that phrase always jumped out to me.
0: That is surprisingly deeper than I expected.
2: I. Thank you.
0: Good on you, man. I you know, I name a lot of companies cuz of my day job and like I had a client once say that he won his name was Juan and he wanted to name his company the Wonderful Company. <laughs> okay. And and I told him no. I said no. I'm your lawyer, I can't do that. I'm literally not going to file that. You got to come up with a better name.
2: <laughs> or what find a, a different what lawyer. What
0: a jerk, right? <laughs> But Rogue Amoeba, I would have signed the papers on that one, brother. Anyway, All uh, right. Rogue Amoeba is known for its excellent audio software. In fact, it is the engine of podcasting. The last thing Stephen and I do before every episode of Mac Power Users is we push the red button in in Audio Hijack, which is one of your many applications. But um, we want to talk to you today about audio software for sure. But also just, you know, you're a Mac Power user. You've got a lot of workflows. You run a company. And also, I'm sure you've got some some thoughts on what happened last week at WWDC. So we, uh, we really appreciate you coming on. We thought you'd be the perfect guest for the week following WWDC, you know, to bring some of your deep thoughts uh, to bear on what Apple has announced. So thanks for, uh, for your assignment this week.
2: <laughs> That's the, you're, you're setting the bar very high. I will do what I can to, yeah. uh, you know, try and clear it
0: aspirational how's that um on on more power users today steven hackett um mr waffle continues to Mm. go back and forth on his apple watch and we're going to talk about that some more and uh i'm going to hit you guys up in more power users today because i am really really confused about these apple watch faces and now that we're not going to get an apple watch face store i have to come to grips with it i need to find the right watch face and i need your help with that so if you guys don't mind that's going to be on the agenda later today weird help weird help there you go paul uh so i thought we'd start kind of talking about some of the you know the gear you're using um your developer which means that your software has to run on more than the current version of mac os so i i understand that kind of has an impact on how you you run your Macs these days
2: yeah, well, so you said something that I hope is true for for most developers that uh, our software needs to run on on multiple OSs. I think there are every once in a while you'll see someone make a product and it'll only be for the newest OS, and I always think that that's uh, sort of a negative thing for for users out there. But as you said, our products run on uh, currently all the way back to ten thirteen. Uh, so I have I'm looking at my desk right now. I'm I'm working on a MacBook Air right now, which is running ten fifteen. And then uh, to my right, I've got an M1 Mini that obviously has to be running uh, Mac OS 11, Big Sur. So I've got I've always got two different Macs, uh, a desktop and a laptop, and and they're always on different OSs, which uh, can be frustrating because at WW last week, they announced all this new stuff and it's all great, but it's all only for the newest OS. And I know it's going to be at least a year before I'm running two machines that are uh, running that new OS. So when it's something like... Uh, any, any of the sharing between machines or like universal control, I know I'm not going to be able to use that for an entire year. So that's always a little frustrating, but, uh, sort of the, it's, it's just one of the burdens of being a developer on the Mac, I think. Yeah. And
0: a lot of our listeners are like, some of them are kind of sitting back and waiting to see this Apple Silicon transition go a little further. And then uh, there's another group that, you know, couldn't wait to buy in as early as possible. The enthusiasts like me, frankly, um, but I haven't talked to a developer like you. I mean, you you have very professional software. And when Apple says, "Hey, by the way, the little engine inside your computer is going to be a completely different engine starting in a few months," um, how did that make you feel? And and how did that <laughs> transition go for you guys at Rogame? But was it difficult, or you know, how did it go?
2: The transition wasn't difficult because of the M1 chip, because of the Apple Silicon. It was difficult because of Big Sur, and there were a whole lot of changes under the hood in Big Sur. But that could have happened just with Intel anyway. So that was the the hardware itself changing didn't really impact anything too much for us. Uh, it's at, at this point it's been about a year because they announced this last year. So it's been about a year since we were really working on the transition to Apple Silicon. But uh, it's something where. Apple did a whole lot of work to make it as easy as possible for developers to get their software onto the new platform because, like you said, they're trying to pull people. Uh, they, 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 there are There is this group of people who are saying, you know, uh, I'm skeptical of this new hardware. Is everything going to work? And obviously, Apple wants to sell the new hardware. So part of doing that was making it as easy as possible for developers to get their products there. And for us, it was something that we had done. amoeba has been around for almost 19 years now. And so we had done this back in, oh, geez, was it 2006, 2005, 2006, yeah. uh, for the Intel transition. Uh, and that one was, the, Apple did a great job then. And I think they very much followed the same playbook as far as just making everything work as simply as it could, as as with as little effort as possible on the de- developer's part, with having Rosetta, with having developer kits ahead of time. I mean, they basically followed the same playbook 15 years later, uh, and it all worked pretty well. So... We definitely did not have a whole lot of complaints as far as transitioning over to the new hardware.
0: Yeah, I mean that was recent enough that I'm sure there were a lot of the same people, you know, working on it. And um, and thankfully, I mean, is there another company, Stephen, that has done these transitions like Apple has? I don't really think there is. I mean, Microsoft is really, I mean, they've got an arm kind of fork of Windows, mm-hmm. but they've never done like a bet the farm. We're moving the whole platform no. to a different chip.
1: No, they've they've had a couple of a- attempts at Windows on ARM, and to date, none of them have really taken off. It is interesting how Apple can pick up and move and everyone mostly be okay. You know, it really is impressive. Uh, Paul, you mentioned there was the same game plan as 15 years ago. They even used the same branding, right? Like Universal right, Apps right. and Rosetta. Those are the words we were throwing around with the Intel transition. Just stick a number two on the end of mm-hmm. it, exactly.
0: Well, I mean, Rosetta is like the perfect word for that, what they did with it. And uh, like, wh- how, you know, what's a better branding than that?
2: <laughs> well, and, and what's so funny is that users aren't even really supposed to ever see Rosetta. Either it shouldn't be necessary or it gets installed once and then they never notice it again. Yeah. Uh, but you're absolutely right. It's phenomenal branding for something that then hopefully users never see.
0: Yeah. The um and it's interesting to me that coming out of last week is that there are already a subset of features that are only on Apple Silicon that the Intel Macs just don't get because I think largely it's the um the um machine learning uh component of the new chip, but they're they're already kind of forking the operating system between Intel and Apple Silicon.
2: Yeah, I was interested to see that because Apple is still selling Intel machines right now. Yeah. And I guess the question is: Assuming this is released in it's, they said the fall. So you know, if Monterey comes out in September, are there still going to be Intel machines for sale at that point? And if so, that's a little strange that they're selling a machine that can't do what the current operating system is uh, promoting.
0: Yeah, but I think that's the right move. Honestly, I don't want them to hold off like like one of the things they've added is timerless dictation which i want to use every day on my mac and i'd hate to say you know hear them say well it's ready on apple silicon where we've got these extra components on the chip but we're not going to release it because it won't work on the intel machines i mean i feel like i think they should you know keep keep pushing forward and if you want that feature you're going to have to get the new the new machine but if you don't want it you don't care
2: yeah, to me the, the biggest issue is just selling a current machine that doesn't do these things. Like if yeah. you if you have a machine that you bought a couple of years ago and you want these things, yeah, it's time to upgrade. But if you can buy the current machine and it can't do some of this stuff, that seems mm-hmm. a little uh, just as a customer, that seems a little shaky.
1: Yeah, and, and and there was so much talk going into WWDC about the next MacBook Pro, maybe a Mac Mini, the bigger iMac and Mac Pro were still floating out there. And since there there wasn't hardware at Dub Dub, it feels like well, now it could happen at any time. But also, part of me thinks, well, this is going to be a little bit slower than some people want it. Maybe they do take the whole two years, which to two your years, point right. makes Monterey those features in in Monterey that don't support Intel. It does make that feel a little a little awkward, and especially since the the Intel machines that are left are the high end. It's like well, that that really kind of leaves people you know, like us who work on the Mac every day kind of leaves us in a weird position if all of a sudden we need to replace a machine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I get it. I get it. Um, Now, Paul, one of the things you do because of your development environment is that you are booting different versions of Mac OS from from hard drives because you've got, you know, like if you're back to 10.13, when you make an update to Audio Hijack, you got to make sure it works on all these old versions. How do you go about that?
2: Yeah, so I'm, I'm literally in my hand holding a tiny SSD, a Samsung T7 SSD. I think it's I think it's a terabyte. Uh, and it's what I call, we we label these RA drives, Rogue Amoeba drives. Uh, we made a bunch of these for people within the company and basically it just has Mac OS 11. It now has Mac OS 12 on it, but 12, 11, 10, 15, 10, 14, 10, 13. I think this one has 10, 12 on it too. But basically it's an external SSD that has... Uh, partitions or uh, no volumes technically because uh, it's mostly uh, APFS Apple file, Apple's file system uh, and uh, just install the OS on it and boot off of that it's uh, it's something that has made testing fairly easy. If, if you if you talk to like an iOS developer, you either need to have you can't you can't dual boot an iOS machine. so you either need to have like an iPod touch or an old iPhone that's running the old OS or you just sort of drop support for it uh which is I think what you see on iOS but on the Mac I think that's for for a company for a business I don't think that's uh I don't think that's a great proposition because we do see that a whole lot of people don't update their OS every year the way that they do on iOS so having this ability to use an external SSD has been really useful
0: yeah I mean that and for listeners that's something you may not be aware of I mean uh, iPhone and iPad users adopt the new operating system at a very high percentage. I don't know what it would be right now um, for iOS. Higher than it
2: should be right now, but.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, but and I think part of it is, you know, Apple automates that process and makes it really easy for you to, to do the update. Uh, but still, it's just, you know, they're fearless. Whereas Mac users will be like, you know what, everything's working. I don't need to push the button yeah. this year.
1: Well, and especially in the last few years with things like Catalina, breaking support for 32-bit Mac apps, a lot of people are, they may have a desire to go to a new uh, OS, but as we spoke about during that OS's release, some people can't make that jump yet.
2: Yeah, and as a business, we want to be able to sell to as many Mac users as possible. And especially, David, you said something that that really makes sense to people, that it's working, I don't need to change it. And if you're using your Mac Mac, a lot of our tools are used in production environments, making podcasts, uh, things where, you know, you don't want to mess around with it because you need it to work. So we do see that a lot of people are a little more hesitant to to push that update button. And so we make an, a strong effort to support uh, older OSs for basically as long as we can.
0: Yeah, um, and that's something that I think users may want to consider is the ability to dual boot. I mean, there's not a lot of reasons to do it if you're not a developer, but a good one is right now. If you're like curious about um, Mac OS 12, and you said you want to like put a partition out with the new Monterey stuff on it, just to check it out, can you kind of walk us through how you go about creating those those bootable drives?
2: Oh, I mean, it's super easy. Uh, so SSDs are—they uh, might be a little more expensive than they were, but SSD prices have dropped dramatically. I think, like I said, the one I'm holding in my hand, I think was about a hundred bucks, hundred and fifty bucks at most. You can get a big enough one. If you just want to run Mac OS 12, I think a great idea is to buy a, you can probably find one on Amazon for about 50 bucks. And you get that in your hand, you plug it in, you run the installer and select that as your drive instead of your internal hard drive. And that's really it. Uh, Then it'll show up on on the newest Macs. It'll show up uh, as a startup disk option in system preferences and you switch to that. Otherwise you just hold down the option key when you start up the machine and select that drive and it really is a great way that's that's the first thing i did on uh, monday uh, what was it, june 7th uh, i downloaded macOS 12 and i had the installer and i ran it and i said okay put it on this external drive and then i rebooted the machine and booted to that and uh it's slightly slower starting up and it's slightly slower to do everything but it is a phenomenal way to be able to look at things and see you know the new safari design see Shortcuts, see all these new features without totally screwing up my production environment, my my day to day uses. And some years,
0: I would say that that's a little risky in the sense that if they make a lot of iCloud changes, um, as soon as you start booting into the new operating system, it may kind of hose over iCloud data for on the old system. Although this year, um, I don't think that's an issue. I don't. I'm not aware of anything they've done with iCloud that would really cause a problem for that. So it's a fairly safe way to kind of get in and and kick the tires on a new operating system and, and see if you, I mean, like Safari is real controversial this year and, you know, rather than read everybody's opinion about it, why not just give it a try and see what you think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and to your point of, you know, iCloud potentially causing issues. I mean, the, the strongest thing I tell most people is you don't need to run the beta. You shouldn't run the beta. It's especially right now when it's just the developer beta, it's really not ready for most people. When the public betas come out, we encourage our customers, you know, if you want to fiddle with it, OK, but if you have if you have a day to day need for our software, it doesn't work yet. It's not going to work yet. We're we're not looking to support it until it's officially released. And I think a whole lot of other software is the same way. So I think the safest thing to do is just wait until it's actually released. But uh, if you're if you're looking to fiddle with it, uh, having an external drive, generally the the iCloud uh, case notwithstanding is is a pretty safe way to do it.
0: Uh, Paul, now, how do you, are you an iPad
2: user? Uh, Infrequently. Uh, I've, I've got one that I, you know, watch baseball games on sometimes I will uh, occasionally read a book on there if it's not available on uh, just like an e-ink Kindle. But uh, the, the Mac is what I've used for, uh, wow, 25 years at this point. No, I'm sorry, 35 years at this point. Uh, So it's, it's not something where the iPad has ever really gripped me. And especially right now where the the biggest use case I had for it was travel. Uh, so I'd be at a conference and it might be a lot easier to just have an iPad to take a few notes on than to whip out a whole laptop and conferences aren't a thing that's happening right now in yeah. person. So
0: exactly. yeah. And then which iPhone do you carry?
2: I've got an iPhone 12 pro, I guess. Uh, I, I got on the, uh, what is it? The iPhone hardware update program, mm-hmm. and uh, last year I think was the first year where I said, you know, maybe I'll just hold on to this, and and in a year it'll be paid for, and I can just give it to you know a relative or something like that. Uh, but my my greed for having the best camera won out. So uh, <laughs> I I every year that it's it's a total waste of money. But uh, as a software developer, I feel like it's uh, not the most ridiculous indulgence i could have so i don't i don't have a i've never bought a new car uh you know so spending a few hundred extra bucks every year on a phone is not uh not the worst indulgence i think
0: yeah we all pick our poison right i mean mm-hmm. i i, I kind of feel the same way i don't feel guilty about buying a new iphone every year because there's not much else that i spend money on <laughs> but um yeah it is it is a nice phone and, and apple knows exactly what they're doing because i i heard once from somebody there's like 200 people in apple working on camera software and camera hardware and they know that stuff sells iphones and they are not holding back on trying to make it you know giving you something every year to make
2: you want every single year absolutely yeah. yeah well and it's 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 been interesting to see and I, i've noticed it even more with the watch but When they made the iPhone, they obviously knew they had a device that was useful. But in 2007, I don't think they thought this will be the most popular camera in the world. Right. I think they said, here's a platform and we're going to see where it goes. And the camera over time got better and better. And then they realized, hey, not just the hardware, but we can do the software and do so much with it. Uh, And it's, it's, it's something where I think they were really smart about responding to users saying, hey, this camera's in my pocket all the time so i'm going to use it mm-hmm. but it's not very good yet what can you do about that and and obviously they've iterated every single year like you said and and that really is selling phones i think
0: yeah in 2007 computational photography was not on the whiteboard right once it did get in there it got like its own whiteboard
1: <laughs> i just remember some of those old iphone keynotes and Phil Schiller be on stage and like we're the most popular non-SLR camera on Flickr, right? It's like, and, and that seemed so amazing at the time. Right. And and now we all have these, you know, I mean, look look at the back of your phone. It's got two or three lenses on it. And it is it is funny how how far it's come. And I wonder if you went back in time and, and told a younger version of yourself that that was going to be the reason to buy a new iPhone. I mean, the first one didn't shoot video, didn't have autofocus like it was so basic and a really short period of time has drastically changed everything and killed whole segments of the market
2: yeah absolutely like i I don't have a uh you know a handheld camera anymore uh i used to have uh not nothing i was never you know i didn't have anything fancy but i no longer had a need for it once my phone was good enough and always with me
0: yeah i mean remember the market for pocket cameras yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And honestly, the SLRs, I mean the I mean the fancy SLRs, you know, Apple's is not there yet, but the the entry-level SLRs, I'm not sure that you would want one of those these days either.
2: Not if you gotta carry it around and and also have your phone with you, yeah.
0: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Text Expander from SMILE. Go to Textexpander.com slash podcast and get 20% off with that link. And type more with less effort. Text Expander removes the repetition out of work so you can focus on what matters most. With Text Expander, you can say goodbye to repetitive text entry, spelling and message errors, and trying to remember the right thing to say. When you use Text Expander, you can say the right thing in just a few keystrokes. It's better than copy and paste or scripts and templates. Text Expander snippets allow you to maximize your time by getting rid of the repetitive things you type while still customizing and personalizing your message. Text Expander can be used on any platform, in any app, anywhere you type. I use Text Expander every day to solve problems on my Mac, iPad, and iPhone. I love the way that the application is just there for me. Whether I want to do a simple expansion like my cellular phone number, whether I want to do billing emails for my law practice, or even create contracts with very complex text expansion snippets, Text Expander is there for all of that. It has fill-ins where it can fill in the current month and date. It can run an Apple script to insert text that it generates with the script. I mean, no matter what your needs are, Text Expander is there for you. And I use it every day. So take your time back and increase your productivity. Best of all, Mac Power Users listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go to TextExpander.com slash podcast and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. Thanks, Text Expander, for all of your support of the Mac Power users, which gang uh, I might know they were the very first sponsor of this podcast. So thanks for your support, Text Expander, and making all of our lives easier. Once again, that's TextExpander.com slash podcast.
1: So, Paul, as we mentioned, you're the founder and CEO of Rogue Amoeba. Uh, I jumped the gun earlier on the question about the company name, but. I'd love to hear a little bit about how you got started in in software development and how Rogue Amoeba kind of came to its current form.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I I first should note that I'm a co-founder of the company. I have two two co-founders, Quentin and Alex, Quentin Carnicelli and Alex Laguten, uh, who I had known before we started the company. Uh, and that's that sort of segues into where, where we got started was in the late 90s, way back when, uh, there was a format called mp3 and it was very new at the time this is a thing that has not always existed (laughs) and we were uh we were high school kids at the time alex is a little older but we were high school and college kids uh and we were interested in mp3 and fiddling with mp3 and and making little tools for mp3 and so we had this sort of audio and music background and over a couple years we we worked on some of the first mp3 players for the mac uh, the ones that most people know are SoundJam, which eventually became iTunes, and Audion, which uh, was Panic's MP3 player. But we had uh, we had all worked on MacAMP, which was uh, the Mac corollary to WinAMP, which was probably the biggest MP3 player in the world at the time. And uh, the three of us were working on MacAMP for OS X in 2001, and Alex made a plugin for that called Audio Hijack. And it was designed to let you record. <laughs> if, if MP3 is a format that people, I mean, everybody knows it, but if people don't think about it too much day to day, Audio Hijack was originally designed to record real player streams oh boy so wow. so that's really dating all of us i know you're old enough to remember real player streams but
0: yeah i still have nightmares about that blue interface man
2: and and the <laughs> the loading uh it wasn't lo- what was the, what did their spinner say i don't even remember now but uh, buffering maybe so yeah it, it was something where people wanted to be able to listen to real player streams without being online because in 2001 2002 you weren't always online either uh so, we made this plugin for our MP3 player, and it turned out that that was pretty popular. And the company we were working on the MP3 player with was not interested in having such a plugin uh, due to concerns over digital rights and things like that. So, that is how the three of us, Quentin, Alex, and I, uh, split off and formed Rogue Amoeba uh, with Audio Hijack as a fleshed out, full standalone product uh, for recording audio. And so that's 2002. September of 2002 is when that came out. And then from there, we have built up our current product line, which is seven different audio products, uh, basically all from hearing what users are doing with it and then either adding features to what we already have or saying, you know what, that's that's a different product, and uh, but it fits in with the product lineup that we already have. Uh, so that's 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 jumping back 20 years almost and and then uh and then I skipped over the past 20 years so i don't know what 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 more can i tell you in there
1: <laughs> i found your blog post from audio hijack 1.0 uh, okay that's a lot of pinstripes man that, it was yeah. very much of its time wasn't
2: it <laughs> well so so one i'd like a little bit of credit for the fact that that blog post is still up yeah, and no, available it's incredible <laughs> I'm I'm personally, and then through the company, I'm big on uh, you know archiving things and and making sure that they stay available as long as possible. Uh, but yeah, the the interface of Audio Hijack One is very much from 2002, which is OS 10.1, I guess. Uh, but it was very much the the style of the time. Yeah. And uh, very, the, I'd say the biggest thing. I mean, you know, the, the pinstripes aside, the biggest thing is that it was using, I think. I don't think we had any custom UI elements in there. Uh, we didn't have a designer on the team. And software at the time was still rooted in the idea of, uh, you know, following the HIG, uh, the human interface guidelines from Apple very closely and hewing to those instead of, you know, creating your own ideas for things. And so the the biggest change I see when I look at, you know, our very old software from 15 plus years ago and, and anything from... Uh, you know the past 10 years when we've had 10 12 years when we've had a full-time designer on staff is just the custom ui elements and and trying to make things you know not just functional but also look good uh so if 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 that doesn't look good uh you know 18 19 years on uh i can accept that but at the time it it was much more the the biggest thing then was having the functionality because uh, you know if you were using os 10.0 especially but 10.1 uh functionality was important yeah. because there wasn't a whole lot of it out there. Yeah. <laughs> so if it, if it was functional, but didn't look great, that was way better than having something gorgeous that didn't do anything.
0: But, you know, I do have to hand it to you. And it's kind of funny that you started out with the, you know, the adherence to the human interface guidelines, because the thing that I've always associated with your apps, at least in the last 10 years, is the whimsy that you build into the interface. And I think that's, And you can tell me if I'm right, but I always interpreted that as you guys kind of following the tradition of audio tools. Like if you look at the old, you know, actual physical audio units people used to use, they always had very interesting dials and designs and layouts. And I feel like, you know, you guys kind of follow that with the way you design your apps.
2: That's interesting because I don't think of it. So first of all, the word whimsy, I very much appreciate. And that's if our software has whimsy to it, that's certainly something we're going for. But I don't think we're necessarily looking at older hardware or even older software. Uh, I think, I mean, in certain cases, but uh, to me, it's something where we still want to follow the human interface guidelines in terms of, uh, you know, making sure that menus are where they're supposed to be and that to me, buttons look like buttons, although the HIG doesn't necessarily prescribe that anymore. Uh, But it's something where we want to have something that is usable and then layer uh, some beauty on top of that and some whimsy on top of that. Uh, Some of it is, you know, something like Piezo, which is our very simple audio recorder. Uh, That is probably our most skeuomorphic app. It has a big red record button. It's got some uh, some vu meters that are very much something you could find on like an old radio, uh, probably even a current radio station uh, setup. Uh, so that's definitely something where yeah, we did take some hints from from physical products, phys- physical audio products. Uh, but I, I, I guess I push back a little bit in my mind because I think there are some audio tools out there that go very far in this direction and to the point of reducing usability, uh, and we're. If we if we're layering whimsy on top of usability, that's good. If we're putting too much, you know, custom UI or or too much in terms of just custom interaction, such that the usability goes down, that's where I would step back and and we'd want to pull back from that.
0: Yeah, well, like as an example, where I see it is audio hijack. Um, the way the interface works is you just line up tools and there's little lines that connect them. And the lines are magnetic. They attach themselves. But to me, it really remember, reminds me of the old days where we would be patching individual units together with cables. And I, I know it's maybe a stretch in my brain, but that that's how I see it, at least.
2: No, I mean, absolutely. The audio hijack, like we call it the pipeline, and it's it's not quite a wire, but it's certainly designed to give you the mental impression that audio is flowing this way, the same way that when you plug a cable from your TV into a speaker or whatever— uh, is is the same thing, and and Loopback is even you know Loopback really has a wire based interface such that uh, this could exist as a physical product and you would use it basically the exact same way. So yeah, there there definitely is something there where uh, I guess I think of it that audio this is this is obvious, but you don't see audio. So when you're using software that involves audio, you need to create a visual that gives the user uh, an understanding of what's happening, and so having that pipeline and audio hijack having the meters in Piezo, having the wires in Loopback sort of give you a mental model that you can follow a lot easier.
0: And I also like the way you guys have developed kind of a spectrum of software. You've got some high-end tools and you've got stuff that's really simple like Piezo. Um, the uh, I told my wife today I was going to be interviewing you and she was very excited because Piezo is the tool that allows her to download the music from the Disneyland parades from YouTube. And that's like to her, that's like one of the most advanced things she does on her Mac. You know? Okay. She's like it's like, oh the piezo guy, well, that that now you got a real interview, you know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now you've got a celebrity on there, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, it's it's something where piezo especially is something we designed to be as easy to use as possible. So if if, if you have someone who's not a power user, uh they should still be able to pick it up and there really is you know, two buttons on the face of it. There's a, a source selector where you want the audio to come from. In that case, it'd be Safari. And then your big red record button that you click that and it will start recording and audio will flow through it and you click it again and it'll stop and you'll have an audio file. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 one where um, the biggest problem we have with Piezo is that it's it's something that software seldom is and it's done uh, which as a developer is a weird thing. You always feel like you want to be adding functionality and adding features and, and drawing in new users. And Piezo is something where we, we keep it up to date, we keep it running on the newest OSs, but it does not get a whole lot of new features because it doesn't really need them. It's designed to be something that just works and we don't want people to get confused by it. And we can, if we're adding functionality, that's something that we'll do in Audio Hijack where that's more of a high-end recording tool
0: and that and that name is based off the the piezo speaker or where did you get the name
2: for that yeah the the, the electronics uh background uh you know piezo in a speaker uh yeah. is just sort of uh a touch point for for audio software there's there's only so many audio uh, so many times you can use audio or sound in a product name and we already have audio hijack and sound source so if we had uh yet another product that used one of those two words i think it start to be confusing so
0: yeah and i forgot to mention when i introduced it is for the audience uh what piezo does is and I, I i'm sure i'm mispronouncing it but the um you can point it at any app on your mac and say record that so in my wife's case she she'll watch the disneyland parade on youtube and she'll want the audio of that so she can play the audio back later you know and so she'll point it at the safari browser that has the the, the, the YouTube page with a very bad recording of the parade. I don't know why she does it, honestly, but the, um, <laughs> um, and then she'll just record it. And then when she's, you know, bopping around the house, she'll, she'll play the music cause it makes her happy and, uh, you can't buy a recording of it. So now she's made it.
2: Yeah. Like you said, it's designed to record whatever you're looking to do as easily as possible. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad we've succeeded for your wife and for for many other people out there.
0: And then you go, you've got more advanced tools. Like um, we talked about Audio Hijack, which is kind of a, a more advanced version of that that we use for the, the podcast. But you've also got some products that that really go beyond that, that are audio processors. You've got an editor in Fission, and you've got like, um, you guys have really kind of grown the stable over the years.
2: Yeah, and it's it's something that I mentioned earlier that it's where people told us, hey, I'm I'm trying to do such and such with audio and I already use Audio Hijack. Can you add this functionality or can you, you know, enable me to do that? Uh, the most obvious one of those is fission, the audio editor. And that's something where people made recordings and they said, Oh, hey, I need to, you know, trim off the beginning of the end of this. I need to split it into multiple files. I need to do basic audio editing. And we said, okay, at the time, we said, all right, well, here's you know, a half dozen different audio editors for the Mac that you can check out. But we said, Well, this is silly. It's it's an obvious companion and it's something that we should make. And so you know, we heard from enough people that they needed to edit their audio, and we said, "All right, he- here's an audio editor, and it goes with audio hijack, and it should work right alongside it." And then from that uh, I-, I guess actually the first the very first tool we made after audio hijack uh, was called Nicecast, and that was a tool for broadcasting audio,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, putting up mp3 streams, which Uh, that lasted for about 15 years. But it was something where people said, oh, I'm I'm trying to I'm not trying to record audio, uh, which Audio Hijack lets me do. I'm trying to broadcast audio out to the Internet. Can you help me do that? And we said, all right, we can we've got this audio capture engine uh, that's serving as the back end of Audio Hijack. Uh, Let's repurpose it for broadcasting and then eventually let's repurpose it for uh, streaming to airport expresses and Apple TVs with airfoil and uh, so it, it's something where listening to users tell us, you know, these are the things that they're trying to do that aren't yet possible or aren't yet as easy as they should be, has led us to create this product lineup of of audio tools. Where nowadays, hopefully, uh, it's we're we're often flattered to hear, you know, I needed such and such for audio, and I immediately went to Rogue Amoeba's website, and and then you had the tool that I needed. Uh, and that's that's certainly a good place to be as a business.
1: Has there ever been a, a desire or a time where y'all have looked beyond?
2: Audio software. Yeah, I mean, early on, when Audio Hijack was our only tool, or when we only had you know a couple audio products, we certainly were not rigid about the idea that every product product has to be an audio tool. And I we're would, would still not. Uh, if the right idea came along that you know we felt we could do well enough, uh, we would develop that. But for us, it's something where the expertise that we've gained with the audio system on the Mac is leaps and bounds above, you know, what a beginner would have. And it's something where that's sort of a secret sauce that makes it, it would have to be a really good idea. Uh, it'd have to be, it would have to be something that, you know, we really felt we could execute well and that we didn't expect anyone else to do uh, for us to make it. We don't want to make a text editor. You know, mm-hmm. Barebones is doing that well, and, and a half dozen other companies are doing that well enough. Uh, I was just looking at weather apps, and like, I would love to have uh, a better weather app in my menu bar on the Mac, but We're not going to make that because we don't have any expertise there and uh, we can, we're a small enough company that we only have, you know, any company only has so many resources, but we have 11 people here. We only have a limited amount of resources and we're focused on audio for that.
0: Now, are you guys a remote uh, workplace or do you have everybody together?
2: No, no. So we've always been remote. It was actually really interesting, you know, in 2020, seeing so many companies start to be remote. Uh, so we've been remote since uh, 2002 when we started and, and even before that. Uh, so it's for us, it was for the for the co-founders, uh, you know, we'd, we'd met on IRC and uh, talked that way. And, and it was relatively straightforward. But when we started hiring employees, it was a little bit strange to, you know, have people do an interview over IRC and then uh, say, OK, you know, this is how the job works. You're going to you can set up your own home office. You can go to, uh, uh, at the time, there weren't necessarily huge co-working spaces, but you can go to a library, you can go to a co-working space, whatever. Uh, but in 2002, 2003, I guess our first employee was 2005, I think. But so, you know, that at that time, it was not super common to have remote work, especially not the way it is now. Uh, but over time, that's, you know, we've we've always done remote work. And so it was really good for us last year because we didn't have to change anything. Uh, we were, we've been on Slack now for uh, six or seven years and, uh, basically nothing changed for us except that at the end of the day, people weren't going out to dinner the way they might used to have. So,
0: yeah, well, there's a lot of listeners that, that haven't got the experience with it that you guys do. What would you say is the the biggest challenge you've overcome, you know, running a distributed company?
2: Hmm. I mean, I, I, I think about if, let me let me answer a different question and see if I stumble into the answer to your question. Sure, no worries. Uh, well, I think because I, I think one thing that I always tell people about working remotely is that you should have your own space. So people think, oh, you just sit on the couch and poke at your laptop. No, I have a I have a separate bedroom that is my office, and it is only my office. And you know, if we have a guest, they don't stay in here. Uh, it's it's this is where I come to go do work. So my commute might be about. Thirteen seconds from my bedroom or from the kitchen, but it is the office for me. Uh, so I think that's a that's a really important thing, and and I think that's something that people who are trying to do remote work. And I think we definitely saw this in the past year that a lot of people were working from home, and they said, okay, I carved out a little space of the living room, and you know the kids are in there, or someone wants to watch TV or whatever, and and you don't have the space that you need. So that's definitely a challenge that I think people shouldn't underestimate. Is that the the distractions. You can certainly get past them, but the best way to do it is to put a door between you and everything else. Uh, so I, I think that's that's a challenge that you know we overcame pretty early. I think we all sort of realized, hey, we should have our own spaces. But definitely, when we hire new people, we say, hey, what's your home work setup going to be, and you know, do we need to uh, provide some accommodation where maybe you do go to a co working space or, or something like that uh, specifically so that you'll have a spot for work. That's dedicated just to that and is separate from your normal life.
0: Yeah, I think that was something that a lot of people had to learn over the last year. I mean, you can't do it at the kitchen table with everybody running through the house.
2: You can do it like you know one day if if you just happen to be working from home. But yeah, when you want to be doing this uh, for weeks or months on end, uh, having that separate space is is critical. I think.
1: Yeah, that's that's really good advice. That's the advice that I've given. Uh, you know, friends here who have found themselves working from home and having done it now for six years, like that's top of the list for me. You got to have your own separate, separate space.
0: And then of course, when COVID hit, my kids all came home and I got kicked out of my separate space. So (laughs) (laughs) that was, that was a challenge, but uh, things are getting better on that front. All right. So, Paul, we had WWDC last week. Um, You are a Mac developer, and Apple had a few changes and new things to the Mac. What do you think?
2: Uh, I think the biggest thing that I appreciated was that, sort of the opposite of what you just said, there are not too many changes to the Mac. As a developer, that's the thing I'm always looking at, is how disruptive is this update going to be? And uh, I've run Monterey already, and you know testing our software on there you know it there's it'll it's going to take some time before we're compatible with the new OS but it is not as big a an overhaul as big sur was and uh so to me that's that's the biggest feature apple could release every year is oh the OS is now more stable and we didn't mess with anything
1: mm-hmm.
2: but to you know the the more interesting answer is talking about you know the new features like uh you know shortcuts and automation and the Safari redesign, you mentioned it briefly earlier, does not look great to me. And I'm, I'm, I haven't used it enough to, to form a solid opinion on it, but I'm a little hesitant of that. But, uh, you know, broadly, uh, the, the biggest thing to me is having the, hopefully having stability uh, with a new release that doesn't screw, screw up too much for us. And then sort of slowly taking a look at things like automation. Is there anything that jumped out to you?
0: Well, I was thinking like last year, I got the impression you guys kind of had a boil the ocean project to get everything working with all the changes with Big Sur. And right. I get the impression that's not the case this year.
2: Let's let's see how I can summarize this. Our software does a whole lot of things that uh, are not just working out of the box. So the audio capture engine that we have, we call it ACE, and that powers a whole bunch of our tools to let you record audio, broadcast audio, uh, stream audio. And that is not something that is easy to do. And if the OS changes, then we need to generally make some changes to keep that functioning. And last year was uh, probably the most difficult year we've had in terms of uh, just getting everything working on the new OS on Big Sur. Uh, so last fall, last summer and fall was fairly stressful and a whole lot of work. And, and you know, that's the job and that's fine. But uh, this year is definitely not... Shaping up so far. I don't want to. I got to find some wood. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to jinx us. And and you know who knows what. Uh, every be- every new beta will have something changed, but uh, we're pretty hopeful that it will not be as difficult a year as it was last year. Absolutely.
0: What do you think about um, this renewed interest from Apple and automation on the Mac?
2: Well, let's see. I'm pleased to see it. I think automation on the Mac is something that has a you know, what, uh, 30 plus year history. And it's something that, uh, this is a great podcast to talk about it because, you know, your average user, uh, I always think of my mom cause I help her with her Mac a lot. Uh, I don't, I'm sure she's never run an Apple script. I'm not sure there's any sort of automation she's doing on her machine. Uh, I mean, the closest I might think is like rules in mail where like that's slightly automated. Uh, and the UI for that is pretty easy to set up. Um, but it's something where I, I think your average user doesn't necessarily take it, take any advantage of automation. But when a product can be automated, when software can be automated, uh, then tools can be built on top of it. And something like shortcuts is a great example of that, where uh, you don't, as a user, need to be too technical to get a shortcut that can be useful to you. Uh, somebody else can make a shortcut and just say, hey, download this, and it will, you know... I'm struggling to to come up with a perfect example, but you know it'll upload your podcast files uh, to a website if you just punch in you know your website address and your password. Uh, it'll take care of it, uh, and that's possible once automation is possible on the OS and on the software side. And so it's something where I, I think the average user just looking at it might say, "Ah, eh, I don't think I'm going to use that," but I think there's a whole lot of benefit that either comes because software becomes more powerful, and then uh, someone else can make something that you can use or just because it enables those power users to do things that then other people take advantage of. So I'm I'm certainly happy to see automation in general. And then for a couple of years, there's been this sort of uh, dark cloud over automation on the Mac because it had stagnated. And Apple Script has never been as uh, popular as I think people hoped it would be. And Automator came about, and that was sort of the... In my mind, sort of the friendlier version of automation on the Mac, and that had certainly stagnated and not seen updates. And uh, the question was if this was going going to survive, and and what Apple was going to do, and did Apple care about this anymore? And we saw it on iOS. I, I I know you folks know the the workflow guys, which became shortcuts on iOS, and that was sort of encouraging to see. But to now finally see it come back to the Mac is is good for the future, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do feel like you're, that's a good summary because they started with Automator and we just had Sal Segoian on the show a month or two ago. And I feel like he never got kind of, I mean, he won't say this, but I, I feel like he never got the the love and attention for Automator that, that we, that, you know, as Automators would have liked to see, you know, like the, it, it like started and then just kind of stopped. Whereas, to see them embrace shortcuts means that kind of they're picking up the ball with Automator, and um, although they're replacing it with shortcuts, it seems that's okay because it's still getting updates every year, and the Automator team is is really kind of answering the call in terms of the stuff we want to be able to simply automate on our Mac. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's it, it's a promising thing.
2: Well, you had you you told me about uh, about talking with Sal, and you had a great quote about Apple script. Inside of the OS, do you do you remember that quote?
0: Yeah, well, I I told you that I feel like in order for Apple to get AppleScript out of the Mac operating system is going to take dynamite because it's so embedded. <laughs> and you know, when we talked with Apple last week, we were talking about I think AppleScript is the oldest technology still in the Mac operating system, right? And in addition, with the new shortcuts, they've added AppleScript support. You can embed AppleScript in it. I mean, if they were intending to take AppleScript out, why would you put that that action in? So, but, but literally if they wanted to remove Apple script, I don't think they'd be able to. And I do think a lot of people get confused when they say, well, looks like they're going to, they're going to kill automator. Well, they're not really killing automator. They're just growing a new one and it's called shortcuts.
2: Right, right. As long as the functionality is, you, know, you no one should care about automator specifically. Uh, you might like it. You might not, but the functionality st- sticking around is the most important thing to me. Certainly
0: yeah and to me in my head and and i know sal worked really hard on automator because you know he was the first guy to have the idea to make automation easy for people but the underlying technology of automator is apple script shell script it's all this stuff that he worked so hard on at apple and that's still there i mean the engine is underneath is still there the you know the vehicle you're loading those that engine into why i'm killing this analogy aren't i but you know the the actual way you build the simple scripts it might change but i think the, the underlying technology is still there and it's not going away
2: right and that's that's important exactly
0: i don't think they could take it away if they wanted at this point well um as a developer does that you know and i'm not hold you know i'm not trying to like you know tie you down here, but does that give you more interest in automation in your apps?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we've, we've got sort of a, a strange history with automation in our software that, uh, Audio Hijack, uh, Audio Hijack 3 is our current version. And, uh, it lost a little bit of functionality when we went from Audio Hijack Pro 2 to Audio Hijack 3. And we have a small number of users, but, uh, people that we certainly want to support who were using scripting Apple script support in audio hijack two. And it is not currently there in audio hijack three. And part of that was that audio hijack three was a massive overhaul. And uh, you know, when you, when you recreate something, you, you need to decide which pieces you're going to bring along and which you might bring along later and which you're going to leave behind. Uh, And scripting was something where we said, you know, we're, we're not opposed to this. We like it, but there's only so many hours in the day. And so we want to make something first that will work for everyone. And then the power users who want that scripting, hopefully we'll be able to support them in the future. And so we did that in uh, Audio Hijack 3 came out in 2015. And then, uh, you know, the next couple of years, uh, scripting did not look great on the Mac. And it was not something where there was it was it was not something where there was a ton of work coming from Apple where we said, oh, we should definitely keep moving with this and and now's the time to do it. Uh, so now, yeah, in 2021, when they say, okay, you know, Shortcuts is coming to the Mac and AppleScript still works and it can be called from any type of app. It's not just, uh, you know, Catalyst apps or something like that. Uh, it's It's certainly something where it bodes well for the future of scripting in our specific apps, yes.
0: And I, I think that's something users don't realize is that you know, developers who want to embrace automation when Apple is not embracing it I mean that that's a real barrier it's like how much time and energy and money do you want to spend adding a feature when it's not clear if the platform vendor is even sold on keeping it
2: yeah that's a that's a really important point that you know customers shouldn't have to think about that too much but uh, Apple leads the way in terms of showing hey this is something to focus on and they don't they don't say hey support x instead of y or you know spend your time on x instead of y but if you read between the lines if they're not talking about something and they're not updating something uh, you have to at least be concerned hey maybe that's going away and we shouldn't spend our time on it and we should spend our time on something else that will hopefully you know pay more dividends
0: did any other features of um of uh, monterey stand out for you as a user
2: oh geez so i i mean I've, i've probably been in it for about six hours all told since okay. it came out so so yeah I don't I don't nothing nothing hugely jumped out at me uh just at a glance but again like I said the biggest it's 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 not a bullet point feature but the biggest feature to me is not having things change too much and it certainly seems like that is is one of the features in my mind of the new os is that uh it won't be a massive overhaul the way it was last year so that's that's the one that I keep coming back to
0: it feels like almost like a snow leopard year to me, but I don't. I don't want to say that so early in the process, but <laughs> you know what I mean, right? It's going to release and like be buggy.
1: Those are powerful words.
0: Yeah, I know. I don't want to invoke the uh, the power of snow leopard, but it does feel to me like they're uh, they're trying to to you know focus in on bug fixes this year, and they do have some features, but but I think they're also working on stability quite a bit.
2: I I think so. And I hope so. And uh, (laughs) frankly, that's what I hope for every year. I mean, I certainly use features in the new OS, you know, when they're, when, when they come about, but I'm seldom thinking, oh, you know, I really need X on my Mac. uh, Whereas what I really need is stability and, you know, things to just keep working the way that they have. Uh, The Mac is a very mature platform at this point, uh, such that, you know, there's not anything that jumps to my mind as being missing right now.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's totally fair. I mean, when we have our episodes trying to predict what's going to happen, the Mac is hard to play that game with because anything I could think of is is probably already there. Maybe it's not done the way I want it to be done. But for a platform that's been around now for over 20 years, there's not much low-hanging fruit left, if any.
0: So... Apple announced last year that they're moving the Mac platform to this new silicon we talked about earlier in the show. What are we've talked about that it was easier, you know, easy enough to to transition over, but what do you see with Apple silicon and kind of the long-term story of the
2: Macintosh? So this is this is something that I think is really encouraging and about 3 years ago, actually it was 3 years ago like this week because it was right after WWDC 2018, Uh, my co founder Quentin posted an article on our company's blog, and it was basically about the sad state of Macintosh hardware. So, this is June of 2018 because multiple machines had not been updated in multiple years. And at the time, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, the mini was four years old. The last mini update had been in 2014. Yeah. And even that was a tiny update. Steven, you're, you're a good person to be talking about this because <laughs> you probably have this all memorized. But like the iMac had not been updated in at least a little while. The The mini was four years old and really more like six years old because the the two-year bump there had been minimal. They had not even been doing what we used to think of were speed bumps where like every year they just say, okay, the new Mac has a faster processor and, and you know like a slightly bigger screen or whatever, uh, bigger hard drives. Uh, they had not even been doing that. And okay, maybe you could say hardware is pretty mature, but they also hadn't been dropping the price. So you're selling a machine in 2018 for the same price that you were selling it in 2014, even though the components inside of it cost far less. Uh, it really felt like they were milking the Mac and not not paying any attention to it, and it was it was bewildering as a user and as a developer because you know that Apple is building all of iOS from a Mac. All the development for iOS and for the Mac happens on the Mac. Uh, so it was something that we couldn't quite understand, but this post that I referenced was Quentin's cry that basically said, you know, this is concerning, and we went through, you know, multiple years without getting updates, and we just had dub where that was the time they would have announced updates and they still didn't. So we're concerned. And, and that's, you know, that's basically what it said. And then, you know, what, four months later, uh, the fall, I think it was October, but the fall of that same year, 2018 is when they came out with a new mini, the retina air, uh, Steven, do you remember, am I missing any other hardware?
1: Uh, yeah, the mini, the retina air, and
2: then the, you know, the Face ID iPad Pros. Right. Okay. But so we're just talking about the Mac, but those two, those two products were sort of the low end that the air is, you know, their most popular laptop. And to finally have a retina air was told us, okay, they, they are still focused on this. And for the mini to get updated and and get a more substantial update was okay. This is, this is something where they're still releasing hardware. Uh, They're still updating the Mac. That's good. And, you know, they sort of had a bit of a, in the press, they had a bit of a mea culpa that basically said, you know, ah, we sort of maybe took our eyes off the Mac. I mean, they didn't they didn't state it too explicitly, but I think it sort of said, we sort of took our eyes off the Mac and now there's some updates and we've got more stuff in the pipeline. So don't worry about it. We understand you were worried. And a year ago, we really saw the fruits of that, which was the M1-based Macs. Uh, so it's something where very quickly, oh, it took over several years, The the Mac story was looking uh, dismal. And then very quickly, it went from, okay, they're doing a little bit, that's good, that's good, uh, to more updates, and then to this whole new platform where it's obvious that Apple is uh, not looking to move away from the Mac at all and is, is you know, committed to it for years and hopefully decades to come. Uh, so both as a user and as a developer, that is tremendously promising to me.
0: Yeah, I remember for years because when we have guests on, uh, there's no mystery to listeners that one of the first things I like to talk to guests about is what kind of Apple hardware they use. And like for two years, every interview came down to, "Well, this is when my keyboard failed," and it's like (laughs) I wasn't I, I wasn't fishing for that. I wasn't trying to make a big deal about it, but it seemed like every guest had a story about you know bad hardware, and it was just it really was sad, you know, and and it. It's not, you know, that's not the case anymore. And it seems like they have turned around and I don't know how long it takes to move a battleship like Apple when they decide to like focus more on Mac and bring this stuff to bear. So who knows how long they were working on it, but, but I agree with you, boy, I feel so much better about the Mac lately.
2: Well, and, and again, having their own processors, processors in there makes it so much more compelling for them, I think, because they can control the hardware updates before it was always you know we'd be looking at these Intel roadmaps and here's the new Intel chip that's coming next year and okay, when will Apple get that when will they start to use that Now obviously we don't know, but Apple knows far better this processor is ready or this processor we expect to be ready next year and uh, I'm hopeful that we'll see you know more speed bumps because Apple is just increasing the the capabilities of these processors so much over time. The same way basically the iPhone gets a speed bump once a year. Uh, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get back to that sort of schedule on the Mac, but even if we don't, the fact that Apple is controlling so much more of this, uh, I think makes it a more compelling proposition for them to focus on it.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's good times and, and it, it's impacting usage because we're hearing from listeners who are like all of a sudden using the Mac for a lot more, or even, you know, people are changing priorities between platforms and it's just, you know, it's good times. And and for someone who makes software for the Mac, I, I hope that it results in good times for Rogue Amoeba as well.
2: I mean, that's certainly, the, the bigger the Mac platform is, obviously the the bigger user base we have. I, I've been a Mac user since, you know, like I said, about 87. And so I went through the 90s when, as a user, I was worried. And at the time, I was developing software, but not, uh, it wasn't my, you know, it wasn't a full-time job or anything. And so I've lived through the, the worst period of it. And now, yeah, I think we're at uh, a, a very good period where, uh, hopefully it's good for users and and good for other developers too.
1: When thinking about the the future of Apple Silicon, what Paul, what would you like to see from Apple? Just faster and faster? Or do you think or do you have something in your mind that would maybe not be possible in the Intel times?
2: Oh, that's an interesting question. I don't know that nothing, nothing immediately, I don't I don't immediately think, oh, now that we're we're you know on this M1 hardware or on this Apple Silicon hardware. Uh, we can do such and such. I mean, faster is always better. Uh, There's, you know, faster unlocks things that we didn't even know we wanted. Uh, You know, machine learning is doing all sorts of different things that uh, like I can search my photos library for the word dog and pull up all the pictures of dogs. I didn't know that I wanted to be able to do that. I didn't know that it would ever be possible, but it's possible because of the massive increases in in computing power, uh, among other things. So I I don't know that there's a simple, you know, oh, now we're going to be able to do such and such. But I think to me, the most encouraging thing is just that I trust that there will be steady progress where for the past, I mean, 10 years, really, uh, almost a decade where there just wasn't incremental progress. It was fits and starts and then it was long gaps where there was hardly any progress on the hardware uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know that I have anything that that I really think of beyond just I trust that there will be steady progress. And I think that's going to be a good thing no matter what.
1: This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by the IntraZone. If you're looking for a new podcast to check out, the IntraZone is a biweekly show from Microsoft with conversations and interviews on how technologies like SharePoint a OneDrive can work for you. On the intro zone, you'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field, so you can see how SharePoint fits into your everyday work life to easily share and manage content, knowledge, and applications. Each show covers a bunch of segments like news and announcements, focus topics, guest perspectives, FAQs, upcoming events, and more. The topics are all really interesting. Migration to the cloud, crisis management, and designing your intranet are all things that can really just really just suck the life out of work sometimes. But with Microsoft's technology and listening to the IntraZone, you realize that this is all easily done with these new and modern tools. It's been really interesting to hear how big companies deal with this stuff. So go and listen to it now. Just search for the IntraZone wherever you get your podcasts. That's I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E or click the link in the show notes to check it out. Our thanks to the Intrazone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of the show and all of Relay FM.
0: Paul, one of the things we like to talk to guests about are some of their favorite apps and services. There's always little apps you use that help you get through the day that that people may not be aware of. Have you got a couple of those on your list?
2: I, I do, and it's funny because they a couple of them link well to what we've already talked about. So uh, the first one that jumped to mind was an app called Text Sniper which I found just a few months ago. But what it's a tool that uh, it's basically takes a screenshot. You You take a screenshot of text on your screen and it converts it into text on your clipboard. So if there's some sort of text somewhere, it analyzes it and then it gives you it as text that you can paste into an email or anything. And I got this, like I said, just a few months ago and I thought, oh, this is interesting. Let me try it out. And I think it was under 10 bucks and it was useful and it seemed like it would be useful, I should say. And so I said, all right, let me just buy it. And I have been using it uh, multiple times a day ever since. And it ties into, you know, the the announcements we saw at DubDub where live text was one of the features. We didn't really talk about it, but it's a it's a feature in the new OSs where you're going to be able to grab text out of photos and screenshots. And it, it's something where I didn't realize how useful that would be for me. So that was an app. Once I got it, I realized how useful it was. And then once I heard about Live Text uh, from Apple, I said, "Yep, that's going to be useful." And and I'm going to wind up using that way more than I would have thought six months ago. What are some things you're doing with it? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like I, I feel like I copy text from uh, web pages, like like a news article, where uh, either they've got some kind of janky JavaScript that I don't have a workaround for, which I, I feel like I have a plugin to work around this sort of stuff too, but some sort of janky JavaScript that's trying to prevent you from copying or goofy line breaks, basically just making it easier to copy and paste text uh, than it otherwise is on the web. Uh, copying and pasting text should be straightforward. And in a normal Mac app, it is. But once you get out on the web, it's not. Uh, and then often, like, just pulling text out of images. I'm trying to think, like, the 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 last example I have from it, but uh, just pulling text out of images that I then, you know, use the text to edit that text uh, instead of needing to retype it. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't often, like I said, it's, it's proved very useful for me. And yet I I am still in the place where I thought about it and I was like, well, maybe this will be useful. And so I don't, <laughs> I wish I had a better example. I would just encourage people to, to check it out. And uh, I think it's cheap enough that if you think it's at all useful, it's worth just picking up.
0: You know, there's also an accessibility angle to the software because Absolutely. Like, if you've got text that's really small on your screen and you can't read it, you can have it read it back to you. And um the feature I like about Tech Sniper is that it just puts it in the clipboard. You just it's like taking a screenshot, but it saves text to the clipboard and that that makes it really easy.
2: Yeah. So anytime you'd use a screenshot, like it's very similar and, and the the interface is similar. The the keyboard shortcut is even very similar. So yeah, it's 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 something that if you have a mindset of ever using screenshots, TechSniper is basically screenshots for text.
0: And I believe that if I understand correctly, the new Apple feature is on the M1 Macs only. It's only on the Apple Silicon because they're using artificial intelligence for it, whereas Sniper will run on an Intel Mac. So if you've got an Intel Mac out there and you'd like that feature, this may be what you need.
2: So then another one of the apps that I, that I thought of uh, ties into automation, which is an app called RetroBatch. And you guys probably know Acorn from Flying Meat. It's sure. a, it's Gus, a, Mueller, it's a yeah. yep, Gus Mueller's image editor. Uh, Gus is an old friend of mine. We've been developing software together uh, back in 2003. Again, jumping way back in time, we were uh, we won uh, a prize in the Mac OS Innovators Contest, Mac OS 10 Innovators Contest from O'Reilly at a tiny conference they held uh, out in California back in 2003. And so that's where I met Gus uh, and He, since then, has had a pretty successful career making uh, software for the Mac. And RetroBatch is an app that lets you do image automation. So I have a humor website that I write, and I often use images on it. And I'll grab an image, and I'll toss it at RetroBatch, and it'll uh, shrink it down to 1,200 pixels wide, and then make me a 600-pixel wide version as well for uh, non-retina screens. And uh, so I have these automations set up, uh, basically like Automator for images. And it's something where I don't know the last time I opened RetroBatch itself, which is sort of similar to opening Automator itself. But once you've created these shortcuts, created these uh, automation workflows, uh, you just throw the image at them and then uh, get out the result that you need. So I don't even need to deal with RetroBatch itself, although it's working in the background when it does these things. So yeah, those were those were those were two that tied in with what we talked about already.
0: And in, in so many ways, flying me feels to me like the rogue amoeba, but for image apps. You know, he makes a a series of cool image apps just out of a small development house.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and Acorn is the image editor that I use. You know, most days I I long ago had Photoshop, and it was completely overkill and it was completely overpriced for how I was using it. And once I once I switched to Acorn, I thought this is great and. Uh yeah, it's it's something where he's got a little bit of a lineup of of two different image apps that uh if you're doing anything with images on the Mac are great to look at. Anything else? Uh I mean I've got I've I'm I'm sort of looking at my doc. I'm looking at uh looking at different things that I use. I use MarsEdit every day to to post to my website, to post to my blog. Uh that's from uh Red Sweater Software, and that's a great tool for for blogging. Uh I use Fantastical. That's probably like the most uh sort of productivity thing. Like I, I made a uh, an event for this podcast and I set an alarm uh, so uh, I would remember. And uh, I included the link to the Zoom meeting that we're having. And uh, it, that sort of runs my day almost. Any calendar software will let you do that. Uh, Fantastical is one that I've used for a few years now, and that's it's served me very well. Looking at my menu bar, I've got a whole bunch of stuff up there. But then the one that sort of powers that is called Bartender. I don't know if you, have you guys ever talked about Bartender before?
1: Oh yeah, it's it's a favorite.
2: <laughs> yeah, so so Bartender's a great one to, to simplify your menu bar and let you have a lot more menu bar apps than uh, the menu bar would otherwise allow or just not have it be so crowded. Uh, and then up in my menu bar, I've got another little one called Tot. Tot is made by uh, Icon Factory, the Icon Factory. Uh, and it's a little tool to basically have if you remember Stickies, which let's jump back to System 7, maybe <laughs> System 6. I don't even know. Yet still present in Big Sur. St- well, is it in Monterey? I forgot to look. Uh, keep talking. I'll let you know in a second. <laughs> Pull it up, right? So it's an app that has a 30-plus year history with Apple, uh, but it's a little notepad app. Uh, but Stickies doesn't sink. Stickies, uh, you know, is has been frozen in time for years. Uh, Tot is something that lives in your menu bar, and you have seven, uh, seven sheets that you can drop text into and it'll sync between Macs. It'll sync between your Mac and your iPhone. And, uh, I find myself using that for all sorts of just random little text snippets and often something that I have text sniped and then paste it into tot. And then I pull it to my iPhone to paste into a chat or something. So there's a great example. Like if I need to get some text out of an image to my phone, I'll text, snipe it on the Mac, drop it in tot, and then, uh, text it to someone on the phone uh so uh, all these tools sort of tie themselves together uh, in various ways.
1: I have some I have some breaking news.
2: Stickies oh, no. still around in macOS Monterey. Oh Yes. Oh good. Oh, okay. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to hear that.
0: <laughs> I, uh, the day they take stickies out will be a very sad day indeed.
1: You know, you know, it it's it's so it must be the core of the OS, right? Maybe there's not really a kernel down there. Maybe it's just stickies. It's just stickies. <laughs>
0: it's right, right under AppleScript. That's holding right. the whole Apple thing script together.
2: AppleScript is, is right above it, exactly.
0: <laughs> that would be funny. Maybe that's like, you know, maybe there is something in there to that. You know, if they pull stickies out, the whole thing just, just fails.
2: Falls apart. That's the linchpin right there. The whole yeah. OS will go to hell.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like like Waz wrote that in right on his way out the door.
1: Sorry. right. Know. Don't ever get rid of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I use stickies uh, for one thing and one thing only when we do or when we did and will again, hopefully soon live shows there, the, the order in which to set up and record things is often different. And so I will have that in stickies in like 48 point text real big, uh-huh. just to yeah. make sure that, you know, as cause in the excitement of a room full of people, it's easy to forget to hit the red button and audio hijack. And as good as it is, It won't record itself. You can't
2: record something if you don't tell it to record. That's right. So the the stickies is
1: why our live shows are successful, I think.
0: You know what? If you're listening and you're still using stickies, please weigh in in the forums for this episode. I want to know what you're doing with stickies.
2: I No, I will be very curious to see as well because I would love to know. Basically, I'd love to know why it is still in the OS. I don't think we'll get an answer to that, but maybe we'll learn that, hey, tons of people are still using it for something.
0: But we've already established it's holding everything up, so that's it's holding it together, right?
2: That's right. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, Paul, thank you for for joining us. It's been good to hear more about your work and and rogue amoeba and the stories behind the tools that a lot of us use every day.
2: Well, thank you for having me, and it's it's always gratifying to to hear from people who are using the software and to hear uh, that it's helping you out because uh, yeah, we do we do all work from home, and and at this point haven't seen any of our users in a long time, so. It's always nice to to talk to people who are using the software.
0: And while we've theorized that Stickies is holding Mac OS together, Audio Hijack is definitely holding the Mac Power users together. So we appreciate all the hard work you've put into all your apps over the years.
2: Glad to do it.
0: So, Paul, where do people find you in Rogue Amoeba?
2: So as I mentioned up top, Rogue Amoeba is very hard to spell. Uh, Everybody spells Rogue as Rouge, and Amoeba has multiple valid spellings. So you can go to rogueamiba.com. You can actually go to ro- rougeamiba.com as well. But for podcasts, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, so yeah, we had, to buy, we had to buy, we bought a bunch of domains and got rid of most of them because they didn't get used that much. But Rouge Amoeba we've held on to. Uh, but for podcasts, a couple of years back, we picked up macaudio.com, which I think is a pretty sweet domain given our audio lineup. So people can find us at macaudio.com uh, or they can take their chances trying to spell rogueamiba.
0: Yeah. I think if that they use Rogue Amoeba properly, you should give them like something there should be like a little gold star somewhere that shows up on the page. It
2: shows up on the website. Hey, you spelled it right. There yeah. there is a banner. If you go to Rougeamoeba.com, there's a banner that says, Hey, you misspelled their name. Uh, you want this website instead.
1: Before we go, I want to tell you about another show here on Relay FM Pictorial. A show about art history for anyone and everyone. You don't need an art degree to listen. Or You don't need to be like me with two years of art school. Then you changed majors. You don't have to be like that. It's hosted by Quinn Rose and Betty Chin. Go to relay.fm slash pictorial or search for pictorial wherever you get your podcasts. Well,
0: that about wraps it up for today. I want to thank Paul for coming in today. We are the Mac power users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. You can sign up for the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. We'd love to see you there. Thanks again to our sponsors, Smile and Microsoft, and we'll see you next week.